0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: The Crisis Next Door. A weekly report on the biggest conflicts around the world. With host, Jason Brooks. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. India and Pakistan have faced off over the disputed territory of Jammu and Kashmir, for over 70 years. And once again, tensions are flaring following India's surprise decision to split Jammu and Kashmir into separate states and end Kashmir's partial autonomy and force direct control from New Delhi. Joining the crisis next door to talk about what's next for Jammu and Kashmir is Ashok Malik, distinguished fellow with the Observer Research Foundation in New Delhi. Ashok, thank you for joining the crisis next door. Uh,
0: Thanks for having me with Glad to be speaking to you.
1: Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi said there would be an era of peace and prosperity for Kashmir following the removal of Article 370. Why repeal Article 370 now?
0: Well, that's a very simple question but calls for a very complicated answer. The state of Jammu and Kashmir, which was formerly a princely state, uh, acceded to India officially and we in, in October 1947, India shortly after India became independent and shortly after. British India was split into largely Hindu India and largely Muslim Pakistan. Uh, Pakistan disputed this accession saying that uh, uh, Jammu and Kashmir has a Muslim majority, and so it should have joined Pakistan. Uh, and this led to a war between the two countries in Egypt. Uh, the war ended with uh, a, a division of the state. India, of course, claims the entire state because of last session of the state, the legal session, uh, but half, about, uh, a little over half the, the territory of the state is now administered or uh, occupied by Pakistan and China, because Pakistan in turn has ceded uh, some of its land to China. and Kashmir is actually a very complex geography. It consists of several different regions and ethnicities and sub-regions within uh, it's like right, it's, it's not a composite and uniform and uh, some homogeneity uh, society. Uh, Kashmir is one of at least four uh, very different ethnic regions within the state. And Kashmir itself is divided between Indian-administered Kashmir and Pakistani-administered occupied uh, Kashmir. The entire focus of World attention in the past 30 years, and attention in India as well, I must add, has been on the part of Kashmir, which is administered by India, uh, which is about 15,000 square kilometers. uh, Only a fraction of the 225,000 square kilometers that the entire state uh, makes up. But this 15,000 square kilometers of very pretty landscape uh, has been uh, an arena, a very contested arena. We know of insurrection, of insurgency, uh, terrorism. and in recent years of uh, religious uh, radicalisation. For uh, so seventy years, India hoped uh, that the dispute would be resolved uh, either by uh, all of the states coming into the Indian fold, which frankly is unlikely, or, or the, the current a uh, tentative border between the two Kashmirs, the Kashmir occupied by India and the Kashmir occupied by Pakistan, or uh, eastern by India and which not Pakistan, becoming an international border. That too has not happened because uh, well, you no know, individual. Uh, in removing Article 370, which gave uh, Jammu and Kashmir and uh, a neighbouring region called Ladakh, which is the Buddhist region, uh, some autonomy, uh, the government has done two things. One, it has indicated that uh, the autonomy which was preventing many uh, federal laws which are applicable across the country, across India, but were not applicable in, in this one state, will now be applicable. Uh, now, why is that relevant? That is relevant because in the past 70 years, India has travelled on a certain project tree. In terms of economic and social modernization, some of that has also happened in Jammu and Kashmir, but some of that has not happened because not all of India's economic and social revolution can apply there. So, in a sense, the state has been held back. Not just Kashmir, but also Jammu, which has no problem uh, with India, and also Ladakh, which is a, a Buddhist territory. Uh, Bordering China has security implications, uh, but which could not benefit from uh, any of the legislation or the programs that, uh, or, or not any, but many of the legislation and programs that the federal have instituted for the rest of the country, simply because this Article 370 information was there. So by removing Article 370, um, uh, there is hope that uh, a new... Sort of compact between New Delhi and Kashmir and Jammu and Kashmir will come into effect. Uh, and a more local politics, a politics focused not on just disaffection with Delhi, which will exist, which still exists, exist, but also on uh, local issues so, uh, of affirmative action for deceive uh, poor and uh, disadvantaged groups. Uh, Money going, developmental money and administrative powers going directly to to village uh, level representatives rather than just state level representatives. Uh, There is hope that all of these will will be a more organic and different narrative in Kashmir. Will it solve all the problems? Uh, Frankly, I don't think it will. But uh, is it uh, worth attempting simply because everything else has failed? And with the status quo, I would say so, and many people in India would tend to
1: agree. I want to get to the China factor in a little bit, but first, there there have been reports of increasing fears in India of a Muslim caliphate being established in Kashmir. How much of a factor is this for popular support in India for repealing Three Seventy?
0: It is a factor. It's not the only factor, but it is a factor. Uh, The Kashmir disaffection with the Indian government, began in the 1950s uh, with an element of religion, but not, it wasn't only religious. The, the religious element has grown over the years, so it, uh, it began the disaffection, moved to insurgency, moved into religious terrorism, some of which were supported by uh, groups in Pakistan. Uh, what happened a few years ago in 2016, there was a, a, a big sort of, a surge of uh, protest and and violence, uh, and terrorism. Uh, For the first time, you saw not uh, just slogans in favor of Pakistan or in favor of uh, freedom for Kashmir, but you saw slogans in favor of uh, uh, an Islamic caliphate. And you saw uh, uh, Islamic State videos and propaganda being used. Uh, This did get people worried. I must confess that, it did not mean there was any physical presence of Islamic State. At least in 2016, that was not detected. But radicalization and, and indoctrination over the internet and on even mobile phones has certainly come to play a big part. Uh, I, I don't want to resort to technology scapegoating, as uh, security people sometimes do. But the fact is, uh, a decade ago, or maybe in 2010 or 2011, Uh, Internet penetration in the Kashmir Valley was uh, uh, 3%. In 2016, when the first uh, Islamic State propaganda videos were seen. uh, Internet penetration had hit 30% and is growing. And obviously, when you have a young, relative, uh, radicalized, uh, or or susceptible to radicalization uh, population, and you have uh, smartphones and you have YouTube videos and you have the Internet,
1: You're listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks, and we're talking about India taking direct control of Kashmir with Ashok Malik, distinguished fellow with the Observer Research Foundation in New Delhi. Ashok, you've written that the revocation of Article 370 is the biggest challenge for India created by a domestic event since the Pokhran II nuclear test in 1998, which, while received condemnation from around the globe, it was widely celebrated inside India and a source of great pride. How is the challenge similar to the nuclear test, and how has the global order changed for India in the past 20 years?
0: Okay, uh, look, diplomacy and foreign policy is about managing the status quo. Diplomats don't like risk. They don't like uh, dramatic innovations. So uh, when India, uh, which was at all but declared nuclear power, uh, tested its, its nuclear uh, weapons in, in 1998, in a sense, it came out. Uh, it said, look, we have nuclear weapons. Uh, this is a peaceful program. It's got its question. Weapons and everything, so this is an indigenous program. We have a story with technology, we developed it on our own. Uh, we've got it now, now let's deal with it. We don't want to go to war with people, we don't want a big weapons program, but let's deal with this. And uh, it was a big risk. The world didn't react when it happened initially. But over the next 15 or 20 years, the world came to recognize that India was a responsible nuclear power. It could deal with uh sensitive technology, not just nuclear but other technology. India and the United States came closer because the nuclear elephant was out of the room. We actually negotiated uh, uh, a civil nuclear agreement and uh, India is, is working to uh build nuclear energy capacity with international cooperation. It hasn't happened yet because of other factors, economic factors and post two thousand eight uh the slowdown but Uh, The fact is, uh, it was a risk in 1998 which led to a re of India's, uh, uh, how India was perceived in the world, and it worked for the better. Uh, This is a similar risk, because uh, the manner in which this has been done, very suddenly, uh, changing the risk which has existed for 20 years, uh, obviously there was uh, a uh, the assumption was that there would be protest in Kashmir, especially by, by politicians who uh, suddenly found themselves uh, less powerful because uh, from being uh, uh, politicians in a full-fledged state, they were now suddenly politicians in a uh, much less impressive, federally pred- 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 administered pred- territory. So uh, in, in a sense, uh, Jammu and Kashmir had uh, the autonomy of India, uh, in Arizona, or the Texas, and has now become, if not quite Puerto Rico, uh, something in between, if you know what I mean. Uh, so and, and, and there was fear of protest, of violence. And as a result, right, the government clamped down on communication uh, lines, on movement uh, of uh, people, and uh, detained several uh, politicians and political activists. Uh, In a democracy, this is difficult to justify in any circumstances. As an administrative measure in these circumstances, it is understandable, but it's still difficult to to live with. And obviously, uh, this has had an international impact, because uh, while governments across the world have understood why India has done this, and they recognize that India is giving the opportunity to make a fresh start uh, they would want, uh, civil liberties and civil rights to be restored as quickly as possible. Some of it has already happened. There's been a graded relaxing of, uh, of administrative controls. But obviously, we can never be fast enough with this. new no democracy can. <laughs> so, uh, also there was concern about how the world would react, how the nuclear world would react. Now here, actually, so far, things have worked out fairly well because many countries in the world were also fatigued by the Kashmir dispute, and they're willing to allow India to, to give this new regime a chance. So the Arab world has uh, Saudi Arabia, the UAE have come out in, in support and said, "Fine, we'll, we'll, we'll give this uh, process a chance." Uh, most Western countries have also said that. Uh, China has, and Pakistan has. Not quite as weak, but that's understandable. Uh, but the challenge still remains uh, for India to, to prevent, to, to restore democracy and to restore civil liberties, not democracy, but civil liberties in Jammu and Kashmir as, and as quickly as possible, and to ensure that there is no major violence after normal life resumes. So that challenge remains.
1: Do you think Western views are out of touch with realistic politics that are going on in Asia? Do you think that the the Western view is just not quite keeping pace with what's actually happening on the ground throughout Asia?
0: I think Western governments are more in tune with what's happening in Asia than frankly Western commentators and the Western foreign policy and media. And i tell you why I'm saying that. Because, uh, you see... The West has slipped into a comfortable based nationalism for the most part. Uh, perhaps not, not, not voters in, in the middle of America, but I'm talking about you know, upper writers in, in, in New York or London or maybe even San Francisco. Uh, it's, it's, we live in a comfortable world. Uh, we live in a world where we, we don't feel strongly about identities. But Asia isn't like that. Uh, Asia is being, uh, uh, the rules in Asia have been written by a big revisionist power called China, which is not a status quo power, which is not a, 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 a common power, which is a power that wants to rewrite the rules. And it, it, it's, uh, it's causing upheaval across, uh, Asia, directly, indirectly, uh, tacitly, loudly at times. And, uh, uh, India is also rising at the same time, perhaps not as strongly and quickly as China, but it's also rising. And China's uh, re emergence on the Asian landscape and its desire to revive in Asia, combined with America's relative recession, uh, moving away from Asia, and, and, uh, has, in various geographies in Asia, is leading to a, a recalibration of a rise in, national identities, and dose uh, 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 of real politics, which uh, uh, the West was used to many decades ago, but uh, perhaps has not seen to- since the
1: China, along with the UK, has been very much against the bifurcation of Jammu and Kashmir, which has also led to the creation of the Ladakh Union Territory, India's first Buddhist-dominated territory. Ladakh also happens to be an area long claimed by China, and India and China have had several military standoffs in recent years in the area. Is India risking a potential conflict with China?
0: Well, not a conflict, but, uh, uh, you see, uh, historically, the frontier between India and China for thousands of years haven't quite been marked. No one went out there and drew the a line. Uh, but there were many... Small and large buffer fields. Xinjiang was a buffer region, which is Chinese uh, Central Asia, Chinese Tibet. Tibet was another very well known buffer region, which is neither India nor China, but it's its so own zone. Uh, Ladakh was uh, at the frontier of, uh, of India. Part of it uh, was part of the Kingdom of Jammu and Kashmir. Uh, but frankly, part of it was just left as no man land. Right? It's bottled between two great civilizations, India and China. What's happened in the past uh, few decades is that China first walks into Tibet and Xinjiang and not just annexes them, but militarizes them, makes them strong military frontiers. And then uh, the part of Jammu and Kashmir, uh, which was with uh, Pakistan, it takes over part of that as well. It takes over something like the suction valley, which is... Also, a Central Asian uh, tract. Uh, And then in Ladakh itself, which is very much Indian territory, it it begins a creeping building of uh, military capacities and a creeping ingress, as it were, and capturing more and more territory. Uh, India's ability to, to respond was restricted. Uh, for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons is that Ladakh was uh, part of Jammu and Kashmir, which was governed under Article 370 by the government in Kashmir, uh, and it was too far away for Kashmir to really bother. And the security of Ladakh from Chinese incursions was not the priority of the state government in Kashmir, of course. all. Uh, It it, it would be the party for Delhi. Delhi. So, uh, China is now concerned that some of the assumptions and investments it have made in the past few decades, including on uh, uh, the China-Pakistan economic corridor, which actually flows through territory that India sees as its own, which is Indian territory, uh, which is part of the Kingdom of Jammu and Kashmir, and which is now controlled by Pakistan and China. Uh, so, many of the Chinese assumptions and investments made in this entire region over the past few decades uh, are suddenly not as secure as they were before the 5th of August, because if India starts to build capacities, including security capacities and infrastructure in the dark, uh, it could end up, I wouldn't say, going into conflict with China, nobody quite wants that, but it could emerge as a challenge. And uh, I would go to the extent of saying that if someone from my country was having a conversation with someone from your country for the podcast 25 years from now, chances are they wouldn't be discussing India, Pakistan, and Kashmir, but they'd probably be discussing India, China, and the Ladakh-Tibet, ladakh Xinjiang border.
1: So far, the repeal of 370 has led to some protests and some deadly exchanges between Indian and Pakistani forces across the line of control. How much closer are India and Pakistan to war after the repeal? The two countries nearly went all out after a militant attack against India in February.
0: I don't think uh, you're going to see a major conflict. I think you're going to see a lot of diplomatic exchanges, including at the UN January 7th and September. Uh, protests within Kashmir have been managed, uh, managed because of administrative measures, managed because of uh, people being to come out or a combination perhaps, I can't tell, but they have been managed, uh, from what I understand. Some of the biggest protests have had about 4,000 people, which is very different from, uh, traditional protests in Kashmir, which have had tens people. So, so far things have been under control, uh, while there has been some firing on the India-Pakistan border, uh, diplomatically, Pakistan has also recognized that it hasn't quite got the support uh, on the bifurcation of Kashmir and the relocation of Article 370 that it's expected. The reason for that is that there is a certain fatigue with Kashmir as an issue. There's a fatigue in India, there's a fatigue across the world. Uh, so people, oh, okay, these are parties, shock their shoulders and tell their prisoners, trying something to If it doesn't do much harm, then let it go ahead and try and do it. so, uh, I think that has been a bit of a diplomatic setback or shock for Pakistan. And they're trying to make up for that with a lot of noise. But I don't think it's going to lead to a conflict situation. There is concern that groups within Pakistan as, later, but in a conflict I can't
1: I think one thing that everybody around the world would agree on is they hope for a peaceful future for Kashmir. Ashok, thank you very much for joining us here on the Crisis Next Door.
0: Thank you so much, Jason. Have a nice day.
1: We've been joined by Ashok Malik, Distinguished Fellow with the Observer Research Foundation in New Delhi. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Till next time. The Crisis Next Door with host Jason Brooks is produced weekly. If you have any thoughts for Jason, email him at tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Again, that's tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com.